Welcome to Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast, a podcast for resilient entrepreneurs. My guest on today's show is Lynn Power. Lynn is a 30-year advertising executive, most recently a chief executive of J. Walter Thompson, turned entrepreneur. She recently launched Mazami, a clean premium hair care brand. And today Lynn is sharing her story of transitioning from a successful corporate career to entrepreneurship. So let's dive in and listen to Lynn's story now. So I welcome Lynn to the uh, studio. Oh, my Hi, God. Lynn. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, good. Lynn, are you, um, you uh, have a Bachelor in Criminal Justice. How <laughs> did you get into advertising? You know, you're like the only person that actually picked up on that, which is uh, amazing. You've done your research. Um, yeah, so I I was one of those, you know, liberal arts college students who didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I had um, a double major of criminal justice and English, and I was thinking of going into law school, which would have been a disaster because that's just not at all what I would be good at. And when I graduated, I was actually thinking of joining the FBI um, and I was really interested in that. And then I applied and went through the whole rigmarole and they basically said there's a hiring freeze. So then I'm like, well, now what, you know, what am I going to do now? So I ended up meeting a recruiter, um, back in the day when you had to cut ads out of the paper, cause they didn't, <laughs> there's no, there's no, you know, online, uh, resource. And she basically said, you're going to work in advertising. I'm sending you on an interview take the job. And it was for a receptionist at an ad agency. And sure enough, she was right. Um, she's like, you're going to love it. So I took the job and that was it. <laughs> and you never looked back. <laughs> I never looked back. You know, I found it was actually a perfect career for me because when you yeah. work in advertising, you get to work on lots of different businesses and yeah. it just makes it interesting, right? Because every day is different. Um, and you get to learn about lots of different things. So that's that was super enjoyable for me. Yeah. So and it's been 30. You've been in advertising industry for 30 years. So that's quite a career. Well, I'm old. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, 30, 30 years I was in the business. I was running agencies kind of towards the end, which is a very different job, by the way. You know, you're dealing with HR and finance and all that stuff. You're not dealing with the creative part of it so much anymore, which I really yeah. enjoy the creative part of it. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I kind of thought, okay, I've, I've done this as far as I can do it, like enough. I wasn't really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I left. Um, it'll be, yeah, two, two and a half years ago, roughly. Um, I started a brand consultancy and I was working mostly with startups, helping them figure out their brand story, brand foundation, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, then I'm, and then I met my business partner in hair care, James. Um, and sometimes life just throws stuff at you that you have to take, right? You're just, it was serendipity. 
Um, he was at a point where he had these products, these formulations, and he just didn't know what to do with them. And of course I'm like, Oh, I know what to do. (laughs) So we developed the branding and the packaging and the whole nine yards and, um, launched in February. Yeah. Cause you, you also, uh, throughout your career, you were sort of moving to different agencies and you ended up being a, a chief executive of a very famous company. How did you manage to get to that level? Because, you know, they talk about this, you know, the ceiling, career ceiling, and it's especially difficult for women to get to sort of the senior management roles. Uh, How did you manage to get so high? No, part of it is luck and part of it is making your own luck because I was at a large agency called BBDO for almost 10 years and I, I really loved it, but I definitely hit the ceiling. I was running an account or a piece of an account and, you know, that was pretty much it. There was nowhere above me to go because the people that were there, the men that were there weren't going anywhere. I mean, so I would have waited and waited and waited and waited. So um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else or maybe there's a little more opportunity. So I left, I actually went to McCann to work on L'Oreal, but I hated it. I really didn't like it. The culture there was really difficult and toxic So I did that for a year and then I was thinking, okay, what do I want to do? And actually one of the creatives that I worked with on L'Oreal had gone to a smaller agency called Arnold and she called me up and she's like, oh my God, we need somebody to run the Hershey account. Will you come over here? And my feeling was, well, yes and no, like I'll do it if there's an opportunity to take a bigger role. So I went into that saying, okay, you might be hiring me for this particular job, but I really want a bigger role to, you know, manage the office kind of thing. And it took two or three years to get me in that role, but I, but, but I did it. They, you know, they promoted me into that role. And then, you know, it was just really successful. We grew the office like five, five fold in five years. Um, And it was just a really, really fun, great job. So what I found was, and probably not so unique to the ad industry, but, you know, uh, companies are reluctant to give you the big job unless you've had the big job. So are you going to get the big job if you've never had the big job? You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to put yourself in a position where you can get promoted into that, but it's tricky because, um, it took a lot longer than I thought it would take. There were two other guys that wanted that job. You know, it just, you just have to like, you kind of put your head down and do your work and um, also ask for what you want. You make it clear up front. Um, If I probably hadn't said that going into that job that, you know, my expectation was that I would be elevated. They probably wouldn't have done it because, you know, there's other squeaky wheels. (laughs) There are other people that would have been demanding things. Um, so that's sort of how that happened. Yeah. And then, and then of course, like I said, once, once you've done that kind of job, then you get calls for all kinds of jobs that are, you know, running agencies and all sorts of things. And, and that's, that was my, you know, moving to JWT was, it, I mean, it's such a big vulnerable, a venerable agency, as you, as you said, you know, the, the law, the oldest ad agency in the world um, that, that just seemed like a, a a good challenge to try to turn that around. Yeah, because you were in charge of the turnaround of the company, right, when it was struggling. How did it go? Um, 
What well, challenges was, did you come? Yeah, I mean, I really ran, I ran the headquarter office, so I wasn't in charge of everything, but um, it was really, yeah. it was tricky because, um, so I had a, a boss, the global CEO was named Gustavo Martinez, and there was a very public Me Too lawsuit um, that I happened. Heard about it. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. It was there crazy. There is an article online about it. I know. So that happened like two years into my job there. And we had been doing really well. We, you know, we were winning business. Things started to turn around. And then that happened and everything screeched to a grinding halt. You know, he resigned after a week. And because it wasn't going away. This was sort of the first sign of, oh, this is here to stay, this Me Too thing. Yeah. Um, and he, um, so he, he ended up leaving. And then, I mean, I was dealing with the lawyers, the clients, you know, the HR issues. And, you know, we had a lot of clients that were questioning, well, what kind of culture do you have there that that goes on? I'm like, well, our culture is actually a really great culture. Um, you have to let that investigation in that case play out, but that's not everyone's experience. Trust me, you know? Um, and it just made it incredibly difficult to get traction. So the company really, uh, struggled and suffered. And now JWT doesn't exist anymore. It was folded into another agency called Wonderman. So it's called Wonderman Thompson, which, you know, for me, it was sort of sad. Yeah. So what did you like the most about your corporate career? I liked the variety and the people, you know, you get a lot of energy from working with interesting people and creative people. And yeah. that's, um, that was super enjoyable for me. And I liked, like I said before, like working on different businesses, I always found myself circling back to beauty. That was always mm -hmm. one thing that I worked on throughout yeah. my career. And then I'd end up, you know, I worked on L'Oreal and then all of a sudden I'm working on Clinique and then I'm working on Nexus and, you know, you just, that was always something that I enjoyed. Um, but I liked working on lots of different things, you know, yeah. kept things interesting. And I guess you, you feel like it's, it's, it's something you're passionate about to, to work on your own sort of brand, the, the Mazami brand. Um, I actually did some um, research about what it means. And uh, Masa means um, becoming, become. Yeah. And me means, uh, gosh, it's uh, beautiful. That's it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, um, yeah. Well, but, Oh, I was just going to say it means it means that which was great, but it's also an, a nod to our um, muse Masa, who is my my partner James's husband. Okay. So, yeah, so he's from Japan, and he's the real reason for the ingredient that we use. That's the sort of secret to our hydration. Um, it, it's just a, a seaweed. It's an ocean botanical um, that basically, you know, he was eating every day. He grew up in Northeast Japan. So to them, it's like the way we eat kale or avocados, you know? So, um, so Masa really was the inspiration. So he, so the name has really two meanings. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that your experience, uh, uh, you know, working for a, for an advertising, for a number of advertising agencies actually helped, um, you know, establishing this business? Because it's been going for two and a half years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's about two years, but we just launched 
we just launched in February. So, you know, all the time leading up to that was the development of, you know, the formulations, the, the packaging, the name, all that stuff. Um, oh, absolutely. I could say my experience helped. I mean, I've done this for other brands, number, you know, numerous times, and it just always felt like I'm helping other people build businesses and make money. And now I'm like, I want to do it for myself. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just start to feel like, why am I doing all this for everybody else? Um, but yeah, no, my experience is um, beyond branding and marketing, you know, go to market strategy, um, you know, figuring out distribution, all that stuff. And so it works out great because James and I have very complementary skill sets. He's like the, you know, super passionate um, product development guy. So he's always cooking up like what's next. So we already have three new products in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, and I'm like the business, the business person, you know, so it's a really nice um, partnership. Yeah. So what would be your advice um, for people who think about becoming an entrepreneur? Is it best to start working for someone else and gain experience or just jump into starting up your business? What would be I think it depends where you are in your life. I think there's always a benefit to working for other people and seeing what they do yeah. and seeing what you don't like also, because there's a lot to learn from even like the bad bosses. Um, and But I also think if sometimes people do that and they get stuck, you know, they just, they just get stuck in these jobs and then all of a sudden years go by and you miss that opportunity. So um, I always do encourage people, if you have an idea, if you have this vision of doing something, don't wait too long. Um, you know, I think the trick is if you're going to do it on your own and you don't have a lot of experience working for corporations or for other, for other types of companies, um, then you just have to be really mindful of finding people around you, surrounding yourself with skill sets and capabilities that maybe you don't have. So you just don't want to have that blind spot. Um, and, you know, I think um, a lot of the entrepreneurs I've worked with and startups I've worked with, um, you know, they, they're a little more reluctant to, to find mentors or find, you know, um, build a network, I guess, of resources, but that's super important. You know, it's like, you can't do everything. Um, and I, I don't even pretend to do everything and there's stuff that I really don't even like to do. So that is like, <laughs> well, I'm not good at it. I know I don't really like it. So yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to figure it all out. Yeah. Do you have a mentor? Yeah. Hmm? Do you have a mentor? Um, I probably have several actually. And I would say, I would say I also have people that I work with that are, they wouldn't call, they wouldn't be considered mentors because they're much younger than I am, but yeah. I learn, but I learn from them every day because they know things that I don't know. I mean, my kids even, you know, they, they're teaching me what to do on TikTok, you know, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. So it's, um, I always feel like, even, you know, that we had a program when I was at JWT was reverse mentorship, where it was like the old people would learn from the young people. And I think that's really valuable, actually. Yeah. So on the, on the stress level, I guess, you know, you've been working for advertising as several advertising agencies. And I guess you were managing someone else's money, how to spend them, right? Yeah. Someone else's budget. 
now you're running your own business and now you have to make all these decisions. How is it different? Or do you find any problems figuring out what you should be or should be spending? Or is it is it easy because you already have this experience? Well, the big difference is we have like two nickels because we're self-funded as opposed to my clients who had lit, you know, huge budgets. So when you have such limited resources, you just have to be really, really mindful of what you're doing and what you're spending. And um, it's been actually pretty easy for us because we have a, you know, a plan. We kind of all are aligned on what we need to do. We know what products we want to put out next. So um, there's no squabbling about the budgets. It's like, you know, this is, this is sort of what it is. Um, but yeah, I would love more money. <laughs> I'd love to have more money to spend. Yeah. Cause the women entrepreneurs I've been talking to, they say that, well, it's, it's sort of a, it's all, it's coming from, from a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that a lot of creative people, they're also lacking of marketing and like advertising marketing experience. And I guess you're coming from the industry and you know all the tricks of the trade, right? Yep. So that, that's probably a little bit easier for you, isn't it? Because you kind of can go back to your previous experience. Oh, absolutely. I think you have to figure out the new ways to, to market using, you know, di digital marketing and all that. Yeah, I mean, the last really decade of advertising agencies have been transitioning to more digital anyway. So um, that's not that difficult. I think the hard thing is is more staying on top of all the the algorithm changes on, you know, Facebook and Google. And now there's a new Instagram product. You know, there's just just trying to stay on top of all that. No. Um, but like I said, I've got I've got people on my team that are just just more tapped in um, to some of that. And I just learn from them. And that works out uh, really quite well. Um, but having that experience, the branding marketing experience has been invaluable for sure. I mean, we get things done so fast because we just, I just know what, just know what to do. You know, there's no, there's no real question. Um, so I, I do think the advantage of having a lot of experience when you're starting up a company is you can just move at a much, much, much faster pace. Um, because you're much more confident in your decisions, you know what works. You know you ju you just don't have to do a lot of road testing, if you will. You know, mm, yeah. So since since the um, since the start of this new business, Mosami, um, what was the most difficult sort of challenge or um, the problem that you had to overcome since the the start of the business? Well, I would say, you know, we launched right before COVID. So um, even though we are like self-care, you know, which is a, a, a hot thing right now, um, it's it was definitely a weird time and we're an unknown brand, you know. So um, getting people to want to try us, trust us, use us, review us, you know, that's that's all tricky amidst, you know, a, a global pandemic. So, um, we, we definitely have every day is like a new day when you go, okay, what's going to happen today. And, um, I would say we had to pivot a little bit and we're still doing that, um, which is normal, but like 
figuring out, you know, what to focus on. It's, you know, content versus social versus digital acquisition. And there, there were a few weeks when we just didn't do any, any advertising. Cause it was like, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Um, so that's been, that's been the biggest challenge is, is trying to figure out, you know, how to manage through all this stuff that's unprecedented really. Yeah. Cause your company has been well around for a couple of years now. And uh, according to statistics, um, you know, small business statistics that I think the large chunk of com- a large major the majority of companies kind of uh, cease to exist in the first what eighteen or so months, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, w- which considered to be the most difficult time for 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 startups, and you seem to be kind of already sort of approaching the two years mark, right? Yeah. So, w- was there a point since the incorporation of the company that you thought maybe oh. Uh, it's not going to work or did you have any doubts or did you always believe in your idea? Yeah, I really didn't have any doubts because the product formulations were so good and it's really hard to do clean hair care. So to do clean hair care well and have it be high performing, it's really hard. So the fact that my partner had figured that out was, was huge, you know, and like I said, I've worked in the industry for brands where they didn't have as good products. So, you know, and you're trying to make things up to make them seem good. Um, but in this case, I was like, wow, we really have, you know, a fantastic product that people love. So I never had any doubts about that. Um, you know, there are always decisions you make along the way and you might question that decision or another decision, but the brand itself, I feel like is super relevant. Yeah. Cause the product quality is very, very important, isn't it? Especially for, mm-hmm. for the physical product. And I, I understand your partner is overseeing the the, the quality, right? Uh, the processes. Because why I'm asking is I used to have a, um, well, I created a brand, a pet supplement brand, and I used private label manufacturers in the US. And um, I, had, I had to close the company because, <laughs> well, A, I couldn't do it in the UK because there were no, opportunities uh us is more advanced than in in terms of the private label manufacturers but mm. the problem i um i had with my manufacturer is that the quality i mean you're manufacturing a powder and it was there were lots of ingredients added to the powder and the color of the powder was kind of de- de- depending on, on on one ingredient which was was like a powderized berry and imagine that the first batch kind of came out a little bit purple, which was the normal color. And the second batch was absolutely white. <laughs> so I had this, you know, my, my customers were emailing me saying, what's going on? Uh, it, it's, it's totally white. And because I wasn't there present at his manufacturing plant to oversee <laughs> the quality process. And then the next batch he released, it was just almost dark black. It was so good because he just put put too much of it. And it was just this inconsistency in terms of the product quality. But mm-hmm. in your case, you have a partner who's overseeing the quality of the product, right? I do. And we also have a chemist in Chicago where we make I our do. products. And so, you know, they have 
the recipe, if you will. Um, and that's what we really stick to. I mean, we get our main ingredient, makabu, which is our um, Japanese ocean botanical. We get that right from Japan in powder yeah. in our product, but everything else, you know, the, is, it's, it, the, the product is made in the U.S. So, yeah, we, we, we try to obviously control that piece of it for sure. Yeah, because it, it, it is important for a physical product. But, um, um, you know, just, just just thinking about you sort of moving from the corporate career um, to entrepreneurship, how do you, you know, how do I achieve um, life-work balance if there is such thing? I just don't think there is such a thing. So I always talk about it as actually it's like work-life imbalance because there are going to be days when you're going to be super focused on whatever, your children, your husband, your situation. And then there are going to be other days when you're very focused on work. And sometimes it's months <laughs> that that happens. Um, but what I actually do now is I blend everything together. I don't really have any separation between work and life, meaning like a lot of my friends work with me, um, which has been awesome. And I drag my kids to things like I took my daughter to the Indie Beauty Expo in January. Um, and she sat behind the booth and she wore the little Masami shirt <laughs> and she complained. But, um, you know, it's it's sort of like I just kind of blend it. Um, and that seems to work now. OK, it's a little easier for me because my kids are teenagers. Um, so, you know, if I had little kids, I, I couldn't, you know, bring them to my work stuff, but, um, but now that my kids are older, it's like, I just drag them along <laughs> and that's, that's kind of a, you know, cause I travel a decent amount. I mean, not so much with COVID, but I was traveling a decent amount. So, um, it's just a good way to kind of try to do it all. Right. Yeah. So how do you um how do you relax how do you um look after yourself how do you um what strategies do you have not to have a burnout because th that's very common for entrepreneurs to have a burnout yeah. they just kind of go flat out working on their businesses and forgetting about themselves and yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think I have any sort of magic bullet, but I do yoga pretty much every day. Um, and that usually, you know, I kick off my day and that usually helps because it sort of just, you know, lets me focus a little bit because I'm somebody, I have a hard time getting my brain to stop because there's always stuff going on. And so, you know, just having, having a little, I have to force myself to have a little like downtime or calm time, yeah. off time, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, cause I don't like sitting and doing nothing. <laughs> But you do have to do that. So, but the yoga has helped me a lot because um, it's just getting into it every day that just makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the um, in in your view? What is the most sort of important skill uh, entrepreneurs have to learn to run successfully their business? I would say it's um, building a team, how to put the team together, and finding the right skill sets and finding people who are culturally compatible, meaning they share your vision and they share your values. 
That's huge. I have run into many entrepreneurs and startups where the team is not aligned um, or they're lacking key skill sets. Um, and that's just hard to make a business work when, you know, you don't have a solid team. So I would say number one, build a team and be very self-aware. Again, I said it earlier, but like of what you're good at and what you don't, what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Um, cause then you just need to supplement with people that know how to do that stuff. If you don't like to do the finances, get a really great finance person on your team, you know? Um, so I think that's absolutely critical and it's something you can learn because people have asked me, well, I don't know how to hire people and, but you, you can figure it out and learn over time. It's like muscle. You can build that. Yeah. Um, and then I think resilience, you know, you just have to sort of recognize that, stuff is going to happen and you just have to keep going, you know, stuff out of your control. Yeah. That's going to happen. Right. I mean, it's the nature of the beast. Do you consider yourself being a resilient entrepreneur? Oh my God. Absolutely. I think you have to be, I think, yeah. you, have to be. I think you have to sort of be willing to dig in. And if something's not working, look at something else, do, you know, you just have to, you have to be open-minded you have to be willing to try different things. Um, that's another place where I see our entrepreneurs get stuck is they don't want to change. You know, they, they have this vision and the vision is set and it's like, well, that's not really working. So you do yeah. have to, you know, be willing to mix it up. Yeah. Have you ever thought of quitting or just kind of, you know, moving back to the corporate career? Oh God, no. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I would have a hard time going back into the corporate world. Um, I just like my freedom. I like the flexibility. Um, and also like I'm somebody that's wired to be productive and I like being busy. I like making things. So if I just decided to like retire, I would be miserable, I think. Yeah. So you're responsible more for the creative part of the business, right? Coming up with Creative um, business, I would say. Yeah. The marketing side of it. Yeah. I was actually teaching uh, on, on the module just, and we had to put together a market research sort of project and then launch the pro project and have like a broad extension. And uh, yeah, students just found it so difficult to actually coming up with some 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 creative ideas. I guess how important creativity is for, for the entrepreneur, would you think? Uh, I think it's really important because if you think about how many messages we're inundated with all the time, you have to figure out a way to break through. Um, and it's not that easy. And a lot of times, you know, founders get caught up in their own idea or their own vision that doesn't really resonate broadly. <laughs> so you, yeah. you have to translate it into something where people see it and they get it. And it's also really hard sometimes to distill your thinking into a few words or a sentence or an elevator pitch, basically that yeah. I find for many entrepreneurs is the hardest part. They just, they can tell you in five minutes or 10 minutes what they do, but you ask them to say it in 20 seconds and it's like impossible. So I think, I think um, that's one of the things that founders uh, and entrepreneurs need to sort of think about more is like how to really articulate the brand. Cause the brand foundation is so critical. 
Yeah. And um, oftentimes people get enamored with the product and they're not thinking about the brand and then they'll go ahead and launch stuff and it'll be all over the place. You know, the brand personality and the voice will be totally disconnected and then the iconography won't feel connected and the logo won't feel, you know, so it's, I think well, it's just, I just loved it on, on, on your website, this, this, our story, I think it was James Smith, someone and the awesome. fell in love. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was just reading, it's like reading a poem about it. Yeah, but that's really what happened. I mean, he met his husband who was Japanese and he went to Japan yeah. and it was really, that was the start because if it wasn't for Masa, yeah. we would have never figured out that we could put the seaweed into our products, you know? Yeah, and especially for 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 your brand because it's um uh it's quite a premium brand as well because I've I've looked at some prices for the shampoo I think it's thirty eight dollars or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So who's your target market then for, for this product range? So it's interesting because when we did our consumer testing, we tested on every hair type that we could find, and we found that the product is you know, it's hard to say that it works for everyone because there's always people that will say that they don't like it, but it's basically works for 80 to 90% of people. And that includes men. So, and that was intentional because, you know, when I worked in the industry for brands like L'Oreal, you know, they would grow by adding more SKUs to their, to their shelf. So they would create the version for color treated hair or the version for, you know, you want smooth hair, you want shiny hair, you know, you'd have to pick your choices. And we just decided, no, we want to actually create products that work for everybody. We don't want to have versions of our shampoo. There's one shampoo (laughs) and it's like, that's, that's one shampoo that works really well. And that's what it is. So um, yeah, that was sort of our philosophy. So back to your question about the target, when we launched, I really thought it was going to be like these beauty explorers who live in more urban areas who have discretionary income. They're called Henry's in some places, you know, high, high earners, not rich yet. Um, but what I found is actually the people that love our products most are a little bit older. Um, either their hair's starting to thin a little bit and they want the volume, which hydration gives you, um, or the other two other groups, pregnancy. Because we have no so natural, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have all the nastiness, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's and that sort of emerged as as an interesting target, and then also people with really curly hair love our styling cream. They love our products because they struggle with how to maintain their natural curls in a way that looks natural and not yeah. not using products that give you that crunch or that weird hold and stuff. And so I've had a lot of curly hair converts who like just are absolutely like we'll only use our product basically from now on they just love it so that's been a learning experience you know figuring out and and that's you know when I talked earlier about needing to be able to adapt and sort of pivot that's one of those things where you're like oh I guess the target isn't exactly what we thought it was oh and by the way we have like 40 percent of our buyers are men now I knew that you know our products are gender neutral but I didn't think we'd have that much that high of a um sort of male you know, so men just w- want to be as beautiful as women today. <laughs> they need hydration, <laughs> but we yeah. don't target men. I mean, we just figured it would be easier to get women. So when we do advertising, we 
tend to target women, but like, um, we have like a lot, you know, like yeah. I said, men find us and I don't even I know. Think how men actually pay more attention to the, to the, to the, you know, faces than more than women. <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely yeah. true. So yeah, that's been kind of fun. Yeah, flipped on its head. Um, no, yeah, it's it's. Um, I definitely I've I've looked and it, the design was really kind of slick and it's it's you 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 can tell it's it's a premium brand. But yeah, for for the premium brand, like you said, you have to build this sort of brand awareness and have a story behind it, so so people associate your brand with with the, with the story and uh, and and buy it. Um, but uh, you also mentioned uh, that you've been. Um, Involved in some mentoring of uh, of 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 women in advertising, and uh, what do you think is the most um, you know the biggest problem for for women women in corporate world and also maybe when they become entrepreneurs? What is the most um, well? What is the limit? You know, what limitation women have in the workplace or in the you know in business when they're on the business which they can overcome. I would say the thing that I see consistently, and I was guilty of this too, is that women don't ask for what they want. Women just sort of think, okay, if I work really hard and yeah. I head down, you know, I'll get promoted, I'll get noticed. But in the meantime, the guys are in their boss's office asking for the raise and the promotion, and you know, and then and then what happens is, you know, the squeaky wheel. You know, you you start to look around and go, wait, how did that guy get promoted before me? And well, you never really, and it shouldn't. I always felt like I shouldn't have to say that I want to get promoted. It's obvious, like you know, and I'm doing a better job. Like, but I think the reality of the world is that if you don't put your your desires out there clearly and state what you want and make it like this is, this is the plan that I have and this is what I expect and this is what I want, then you're not going to get it. Yeah. Or longer to get it, you know? Yeah, because, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm just kind of uploading to you because you, you were a CEO uh, in, in, in a big organization and um, women just, there's not many uh, women, uh, you know, chief executives uh, in in the board of that uh, on the board of directors because for some reason um, they just can't get there. Um, and um, I don't know. Uh, I was talking to some girl on on this program about misogyny, and she's running uh, an app. Well, she's got her own app, which is just for girls, mm-hmm. and she has a number of men on the board of directors, and and she's being challenged on on a daily basis how to run her own business (laughs) and uh yeah that's annoying (laughs) yeah and um she's just (laughs) struggling in a way and she she's just i don't understand you know it's my business and i have this 50 something men telling me how to run a, a girl only business um so yeah that that this is a challenge for women but um and what about the women entrepreneurs? What do you think is the what are we lacking? You know, when we start businesses, what what should we be what should we be working on? Um, I would say to make it, it more successful. It's something I mentioned before, but I think women need to be more more conscious or mindful of building networks and support systems uh, because men have those already. 
And a lot of times women will start something or do something and not really have that network. And so I always say to women, like, meet people just because like, you know, and, and it's women are more, you know, it's like, oh, I'm too busy. I don't, I can't have coffee with that person. It's like, no, make, make, get, make yourself get out there. Like I used to meet three or four new people a week at JWT that were just interesting because you never know where there might be a connection or there might be serendipity or there might, you know, so, yeah. um, and it's so important to have a network of people that support you. And the other thing is join female founder groups. Cause I'm, I'm a member of several and just having that resource to be able to ask questions, um, to be able to actually support each other. One of the things we started doing with Masami when COVID hit was joining forces with other female founded brands to do giveaways and gifts with purchase and blog posts and, you know, social media and, and helping each other. So, you know, it was easy because I had a built in network of those types of brands that I could tap. And it's been awesome. Like having the ability to, to support each other. But if you don't have that network, it's so much harder. So I would say when you're thinking about stuff, you know, think about that. And then also just make sure that you road test your idea with a lot of different people that you get feedback along the way, um, you know, so that it's a viable, scalable idea. And it's not just something that you love, but it's something that you can market and build a business off of. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've recently been doing some 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 research for me on 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 Facebook, you know, Facebook Insights, and you know, you type these keywords, founder, entrepreneurship, small business, and then you you kind of select, you know, women, or, 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 or and you realize, and then you click on groups they like, and they don't seem to be liking any of the business related groups. It's all babies and engagement drinks and, and on Facebook. Right. Mm. Um, so it's 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 like they're running businesses, but they're sort of they still kind of remain to be moms and 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 partners, and and this is what they're all about, and uh, not not so much focusing on business related um, you know topics and, and 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 groups is like almost this is this is their priority is being a woman and being a mom and being uh, a partner as opposed to just kind of <laughs> liking other pages how to be a better businesswoman mm, that's true what I found yeah no I think I think there's truth to that I and I will say it was it took a little time for me to figure out where those women were where the groups were but they are there you just have to do a little digging yeah yeah yeah, because because I, I guess it's a bit biased because it's 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 selecting uh, according to the number of likes, but um, yeah, if if you I don't know if you've used this insights um, Facebook insights, but you you can choose say look at the you know the, you know is the majority of people are you know men or women and you click on on women and then you you can see well what is even you know the the age sort of bracket bracket of, of 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 women who kind of um have this criteria of you know liking entrepreneurship and stuff like that but then you go into much more detail about what they like and what pages they're looking at and they're not business related and th- th- this 
this might be a problem, I think, for women that they're not really um, always focusing on, on the business side of it. And I, I think the movie that they, uh, I think the, the movie um, they like is like Fifty Shades of, of Grey. I've never seen oh, wow. it. I, I know <laughs> everyone is raving about it, but <laughs> I might need to watch it. But um, no, it's it's, uh, it's interesting. I think talking to you. But uh, um, what advice would you give uh, to women entrepreneurs who are starting now because uh, of COVID? Uh, the job market is in slums and pe- pe- people choose to maybe have a side hustle and, um, you know, especially those who, who've been furloughed and stuff like that. So what advice would you give to these um, entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I still think it's like figure out if the idea you have has merit, you know, um, make sure there's a market for it, get your network in place, get your resources in place, figure out, um, you know, who you really need on your core team to make this thing work and make it be successful. You don't have to leave your corporate job right away. You know, you can do a lot on the side and figure some of this out. Um, so I always say it's not an either or, especially these days. Um, so once, once you feel though, that you've got what you need, you know, then you've got to, you've got to really commit because it's just, you're not going to be successful if you're just doing kind of half-ass, you know? Yeah. So what, what final advice to spe- specifically women entrepreneurs who, who is our audience for this podcast? Yeah, I would say um, act like a man, <laughs> find mentors. Um, and I would also say, put yourself out there, you know, um, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Um, that goes with, you know, if you're meeting with investors, you're meeting with partners or whoever, um, and leverage other women who are, you know, you're going to find super generous and want to help. That's been my experience. Okay, no, the, thank you so much for, for, for this advice and thank you for coming to the show, Lynn. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Good luck with your new business and I'll hear more from you in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. Please send me any comments or feedback. If you're an entrepreneur and want to share your story, please contact me. The link is in the podcast show notes. Also, please see the social media links and uh, links to offers from my guests on the podcast notes. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Octopus Voice Agency, who create chatbots and voice skills on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. So I'm really excited uh, to tell you that this podcast is now available as an Alexa skill. Uh, so you can search for resilient entrepreneur uh, skill and enable it as a flash briefing. So that's all for me. Um, I wish I wish you good mental health and you are just one mind hack away. Till next time.